You found us. Welcome to Emergency Protocol, a podcast for people who are stressy and depressy. We are your hosts, Denise and Jackie Freed. That's my mama. And that's my baby. We are sharing our 12 steps reimagined for today's society. And our bumpy, pothole-ridden spiritual paths. And we're bringing you along for the ride. This is us doing the actual work. When the shit hits the fan, you know it's time for... Emergency Emergency Protocol. Hi, are we here? Are we recording? Yeah. We're live? It's That's why I put the screen up there wow. so you can see it. We're going. Okay, I guess we're talking now. Yeah. We were going to read through the steps. We're going to read through the steps. So, the 12 steps. Mom had this theory that the 12 steps would be useful for all people, not just people struggling with addiction. And she recommended that I read through them and like work my way through them basically. And so I pulled up the 12 steps and I Googled some like worksheets and whatever. And the first thing I thought was like, this shit feels old, like biblical, like patriarchal, like Shakespearean <laughs> fucking old no these white and days. There might've been some those. No. <laughs> It was definitely him with a capital H. It was him, yeah, yeah. It was old, old white man God with a beard and a staff sitting somewhere on a cloud, judging, judging. Yeah, that's and a not thing. in our favor. No, I mean ki- <laughs> that's what's so crazy, right? Is like this program helps so many people, but the core tenets of it do feel almost judgmental and heavy and not super uplifting, even though. I suppose in a way they are grounding, like they offer a stable foundation for people to like rebuild their lives on. Yeah. But I was like, man, this feels very patriarchal and it feels kind of like belittling. It just didn't, it wasn't sitting well with me. I wasn't progressing with it. And so I came to you with that feedback and I was like, I think that like this could all be reworded. And I know you're not trying to like recreate the program, but like. Kind of got to kind of got to make some changes here. Right. So we worked together Mm -hmm. to kind of take what the original 12 steps were Mm -hmm. and reword them Mm -hmm. into a more kind of not a universal language, but more uh, inclusive language. Modern. Modern. More loving. Yes. More tender. Just more cozy. Yeah. And the idea behind that is that we're both, and a lot of people that I've worked with over the years have found some peace and solace and a way to live their lives with these steps Mm -hmm. as kind of guideposts. You know, it's like, okay, so we're driving on this like hilly cliffside road and these 12 steps can be like... Like the what do they call those things that make you so you don't drive off the cliff? Oh yeah, like yeah, <laughs> they're not speed bumps, but they're like not fenders, posts. bumpers. I don't know, no, but I yeah. I look at them like that. Like yeah. you know, they're not going to keep people from speeding or spinning out or whatever. Right. 
but they're something that can give you at least some guidance so you're not just driving off cliffs all over the place, mm-hmm. right? And for me, they've been a healing way to connect to something bigger than myself because I was really, you know, I got sober at 20, right? So I got, mm-hmm. I was really opposed to the word God. That didn't, the word God with a capital G just ugh, gave me the willies. Yeah. Same, kind of. And through my kind of path of mm-hmm. doing this work for a long time, it's uh, changed to something that's bigger and something that's softer and something that is um, uniquely mine. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the beauty of this is that you don't really need to believe in the G-O-D God or even any kind of deity or Mm -hmm. you can or not or whatever. If you have a religion, it can still fit into this framework and support you. And might even support you more, Yeah, actually. Because this gives you like a different, it's like another tool in the toolkit. Right. Exactly. To go along with religion and therapy and whatever. And And whatever. For people who don't have any kind of religious or spiritual practice, I think this can kind of fill some of that gap, right? Like... I think religiously, I've definitely been adrift for the last few years. A lot of my, even though I had a bat mitzvah, we haven't belonged to a temple for a really long time. And a lot of our Judaism as a family was centered around like big holidays. And since so many of our like elders have passed away and we don't all meet in the same way, that has kind of become unmoored. And I haven't found like another way to kind of connect with that. Right. Part of myself. That's interesting. And mm-hmm. yeah, I feel the same way about that as well. And on my side of the family, we do get a, together around religious holidays, but mm-hmm. they don't have anything to do with religion at this point. No. I think, you There's know. There's no it, ceremony there involved is no the way ceremony. there is with the Jewish stuff. No. Yeah. It's just like, you know, we're going to eat uh, eggs, we're you know, be deviled together. eggs on Easter yeah. and whatever. Tamales you know, on hey, Christmas. Tamales on Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> so Jackie and I set out to reword the steps and we worked through them and worked through them and worked through them and maybe mm-hmm. there'll be a stellar work in progress but yeah we're going to like read them to you mm-hmm. and we'll see where it goes from here all right you ready yeah so the the 12 steps reimagined one, one we, we are, are not, not okay. okay we, we haven't, haven't been, been okay, okay. We can't get better on our own. Two, we believe we are worthy of getting better and things will get better. Three, we trust that something bigger is taking care of us. Four, with courage, honesty, and curiosity, we examine the fears, shame, and resentments that we carry with us. Five, with vulnerability and integrity, we share this inventory with someone safe and trustworthy. Six, we trust that we will be guided to recognize thoughts and behaviors that no longer serve us or the greater good. Seven, our actions are based in humility and in the service of our highest and best selves. Eight, we list each of the harms we've caused that require amends. Nine, 
We heal the wounds we've caused through direct amends, except when doing so would cause further harm. 10. We maintain a daily practice of reflection, amends, and forgiveness. 11. We welcome mindfulness, grace, and gratitude. 12. Awakened to our higher selves, we apply this practice and share our experiences, strengths, and hope with others. I think it's interesting because today I'm just coming from a a meeting with someone that I've been sponsoring, Mm -hmm. and we just did a fifth step. And it's a real honor to listen to somebody's stuff, and it's really fascinating to me the the general feeling for people coming into a fifth step it, I, I don't really want to start there but i i think it's a lot of people get freaked out about that step in particular mm-hmm. about sharing any of their like deeper thoughts yeah. with another person it's always fascinating to me how distraught people are going into the process mm-hmm. and how freeing they are coming out of it and in that you're just, you know, looking at, it's a fact-finding mission and also a storytelling, find like as finding the storytelling as well because mm-hmm. a lot of people's hang-ups are based on stories that we've told ourselves over and over and over again that we believe are true, which might be true, but right. they also might not be true. And that, to me, is fascinating when people have a moment where they realize that the story they are telling themselves and have told themselves and have believed strongly for a very long time may not be true or it might partially be true or or they can see how it plays out how that story plays out in multiple areas Mm. of their life and so anyway I just love this process because each one of these steps pushes people to be a little more free, a little mm-hmm. more open, a little more um, forgiving. Happy, joyous, and free, right? Happy, joyous, and free. Yeah. And, you know, not everybody walks around all just happy, happy, happy all the time. No. But it, you know, as somebody who is stressy and depressy, through this work, and I'm still working through it, right? I'm probably on step four still, right? I'm wor- I'm instead of starting with my resentments as is traditional for the program, I'm starting with my fears, Mm -hmm. listing all of those. Mm -hmm. And I got a lot of those and it's, you know, it's delicate emotional work. It's not all done in one day and yeah, but it feels good. And through this work, I have also come up with this mantra for myself, which is the universal mother is taking care of me. And I've never really like relied on a mantra or even stuck with anything like that before until now, right? It's just like if I'm sitting there, you know, I come home and my dog like peed on the couch or something. I'm just like, all right. (sighs) All right. The universal mother's taking care of me. Then I just go and deal with the thing, right? Right. So that's been really nice. And there's also like, I saw this quote the other day. It's not my quote, but I thought it was really good. And I'm sure I'll be able to look it up later. But it says, memory is a poet, not a historian. Mm. Yeah. And that really stuck with me, especially the historian part, right? Yeah. Like, 
There, it's like the three versions of the truth. There's like the mm-hmm. actual truth mm-hmm. and then your version and my version. Right. So I think it'd also be interesting too as we like continue on this journey together to see like what your truth is and what my truth is. And I think they're pretty parallel in some ways, but it's it'll be interesting to see like where the differences are. Right. And the similarities too, right? Like even though we had very different upbringings, right? Like we both still deal with feeling less than or not worthy or whatever, right? I think a lot of people struggle with feeling less than, not worthy. I mean, imposter syndrome didn't just name itself, right? right? Totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So I think... They, they all feel like frauds. <laughs> <laughs> I think... Exactly. If you only knew. Yeah. If you only knew. I remember some of my first jobs when I was there, I was like, if they only knew who I was, they wouldn't be sending me to the bank with like... $35,000 in cash to go deposit. You know what I mean? Like, cause le- legit through my mind, I'd be like, how long can you live in Mexico for $35,000? Like, is that a full year or is that a, you know, not, like it just. Not with cur- your habits at the time. <laughs> not with my habits. Hello, me closer to the source, maybe. <laughs> On my way to Colombia. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But those are the kind of thoughts that me as an addict would have, even though I was sober. Like, you know, I'm literally going four blocks with a wad of cash to deposit at a bank. And the thought crosses my mind that, you know, maybe it would be a good idea to just keep going (laughs) with this cash that doesn't belong to me. Right. And then the sober me is like, yeah, let's think this, let's think this all the way through, you know, <laughs> like, like I was taught when I was like new and wanting to have a drink where, or, you know, the day, what I really wanted to do was smoke some weed. And it was mm. just like, okay, I can get through this minute. Let's just walk that through. I'm going to smoke yeah. a little weed. I'm not going to be sober anymore. Since I'm already not sober, I could probably maybe have a glass of wine or mm-hmm. a you know, beverage of some sort. Yeah. And then because then I'm doubly not sober anymore, I could probably get some cocaine because I need to pick myself back up from all these downers mm. I just did. And then it's off and running. Is you that know? really what you would do though? Like if we if you went out and like walked down the street to MedMen and got like a pre roll and like smoked it, then you're then like, I okay. would Yeah. Then I would not be sober, so all bets are off. Why do I have to? Like right away, though? Like, would you just, like, try to enjoy your day and, like, give yourself the possibility of? I would, in this frame of mind, I would try and control and enjoy it as long as I could. Yeah. But at some point, I know, and, Mm. and it's the point immediately of ingesting something that alters my mind in a way that's not natural or prescribed Mm. right is that i it ain't happening i'm not sober anymore so as long as i'm not sober Mm. and i'm out i might as well try a few things that i didn't try before Mm. before i go back and clean up again like a bender Yes. Yeah. But so you're gonna what? Go look for some Molly, or I'm I'm sure you'd find it on Abbot Kinney. I don't even know what Molly is. Maybe it's kind of like today's Quaalude. I guess. I don't know. I 
or heroin. This is the thing, though, right? Yeah. Because of what's going on with the kind of drugs that would would be the things that I haven't tried. Yeah. The risk is is that I could buy some heroin that's laced with fentanyl and overdose totally. on my first fucking way yeah. out. Right? Like yeah. that's a real that actually happens yeah. to people. Totally. And so, you know, for me, um, I heard a, a woman say in a meeting once, like, I can have a life or I can have a beverage. Mm. And it's like yeah, it's just not worth it to walk to MedMen. It's not worth it to walk to... I'd much rather sit here and talk about this shit with you right. every Saturday, like we've been yeah. doing, than the fantasy of of checking out. Although, you hmm. know, that when life's hard... When life's hard, actually, it doesn't occur to me to check out. Hmm. It occurs to me when we're like... When I'm sitting on a beach in Maui. Oh, when things are good and easy. And I'm like, oh, I never It'd be had nice a to mojito. just like actually knock myself out, like conk out. It'd be out. nice to just smoke a little weed and stare at the sunset like for another... Turn your brain off. Yeah. Hmm. Instead but of I don't waiting. Know, I don't know that my brain would turn off. Yeah. I mean, I, I find it in meditation that I get to slow it down, but I don't think there's any shutting it off. Yeah. No matter what I do. I mean, none, none of what... The drugs and alcohol, it just doesn't look attractive to me anymore. So I'm sure it's fun and it's an inhibitor like that, you know, it lets you go. So that's why I think Burning Man is so successful. You know what I mean? Not that everybody there is wasted, but, you know, it's a people need a release from life. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a oh, reason I know. that every single kind of social event starts at the bar. It's really hard to live, to do life completely. So not compl- not that I'm completely sober, but it's really hard to do life sober most right. of the time. Right. But it also isn't after you do it for a while. Like for me, it's yeah. not hard to do it life sober. Yeah. I can't even think of, I think for me, it would be hard to do life drunk. Like mm-hmm. for me, it was harder to do life medicated and drunk than it is for me to do life sober. Hmm. And so that I, you know, I wonder, that's the part that I wonder about mm-hmm. with these steps is that, you know, if someone is is an addict or an alcoholic, truly, besides being depressed mm-hmm. or stressed, right? But is truly addicted mm-hmm. to gambling, sex, food, right. whatever it is, mm-hmm. I don't know that these steps will have the same relief from them because there's still a portion of themselves that's cut off from Mm -hmm. themselves from the honest yeah the brutal honesty of like really looking at yourself yeah well that's the thing too right it's like i think reflecting on people that i know who are sober a lot of them were when they were using were self-medicating right they were self-medicating a lot of undiagnosed mental issues right Mm -hmm. like depression anxiety yeah yeah bipolar suicide you know all of of it right and that's also why i think i encourage you to go to therapy too right because like even even with these Mm -hmm. there's still a layer beneath that right right and i could like personally i could feel that like you needed another, you were ready for another tool in your mm-hmm. toolkit, even yes. though you weren't necessarily, like, 
I think I've tried to force it on you too many times before you were ready you mean, for it. You mean but, while you were in college studying psychology? It's yeah. like therapy for everyone. Literally. And now <laughs> <laughs> and twelve years later. No, ten years later. Yeah. You know, it takes what it takes, but yeah. I also think too having practiced these steps over many, many years really mm-hmm when I said yes to therapy really mm-hmm. made therapy helpful to make totally. immediate change. Right. Yes. Like, cause I was ready for it. I was yeah. willing to hear and I was willing to take direction and yeah. I'm in practice of taking direction from somebody else. Right. Definitely. Of like, Oh, becoming aware of a behavior or a thought right. and then being staying in that awareness enough to, See it when it's in force and take a different action, take a different, say something different, behave differently, whatever it is. Yeah. And so it's been super helpful to, to do that. But yeah, the thing that I love about the 12 step rooms is that it doesn't, there, there is, you can walk in flat ass broke, Mm -hmm. broken and broke. I walked in broken, broken high, right? (laughs) And yeah. was still welcomed and yeah. and it didn't cost me anything. Yeah. And I could be honest with other people about where I was and who I am and yeah. took a little while. Totally. But because other people were being honest about who they were, I felt I had permission to be who yeah. I was, right? And yeah. And some of that is, you know, owning up to like... I remember, you know, getting sober at 20, you're like, my life is over. What happens when I get married and I can't have a champagne toast? And my sponsor's like, are you getting married? I'm like, no, but, you know. And then, and then like, all these, Do you even all like these, champagne? All these what ifs. No. I had, right? And I remember coming to her one time and I was like, being in these rooms is so boring. Everybody's old and drinking coffee and smoking Which cigarettes. Which they really were at that time. Like that's this. That's yeah. the AA that I grew up witnessing. Right. And she said, "Well, it's boring because you're boring." And I was like, <laughs> "What?" I was like, "Why are you being so mean to me?" And she was. She said, "You know, if you want to have more fun, then you need to." You need to make your make more fun. And mm. I think part of that is why, like, I have, you know, you say I fill every blank space mm-hmm. with something fun. I think it stems from that, where mm-hmm. it was like I was waiting for life to be fun to me, mm-hmm. not by me. Mm. Right. And so that's yeah. the whole thing of, of all of these steps is taking ownership for, yeah. for your life, like for the way I think, how I interact with people, how I show up for work, mm-hmm. how I show up for people, how I show up in life. And so as a result of her saying that, I started organizing like sober ski trips and sober dances and sober, I started making fun What did you call things. the ski club? It wasn't my ski club. Oh. It was already in existence okay. when I uh, was asked to go on a oh, ski okay. trip with your dad and his mm. best friend. And it was called the Southern California Flake and Powder <laughs> Society. <laughs> and they had stickers that had like a red, you know, the red 
circle with the X, uh-huh. you know, the one line through it. Yeah. And it was a um, picture of in the old days, mm. old, in the old cocaine days, mm-hmm. you had these little bottles, little brown bottles that screwed on and they had spoons attached to the top. Oh, so you didn't so you need to just, use your you just, gross fingernail no, or a key? No, if, you know, if you had you a... You just get a bump? Just, yes. Hmm. And so it was a picture of that little Who bottle. Who manufactured those? Somebody had a specialty... Who manufactures bongs? I don't know. Yeah, but like... Yeah, but what? The like, use is so specific. Yeah, it cost $100 for a little bottle of that shit. And so, you know, there was a market for it. People could pay. Did you buy your cocaine in the bottle? Or did you have to transfer the cocaine into the bottle? It depends. Most of the time Mm. it came folded up in a very specific kind of folded piece of paper. Mm. Which may or may not, it was very Mm -hmm. (laughs) origami-like. To keep it safe, but then they didn't need to... But, yeah, it came in little packages little folded up pieces of paper like somebody weighed it on a scale and then like origami it yes mm-hmm. yes nice and then you'd pour it into your little bottle honestly those packages seem like they're probably the most economical because you don't lose any crumbs to the corners of the little plastic baggies correct yeah you, but you would have to dig, dig them out of the crumbs of the corners of the bottle. Mm. I did find one of those little bottles in my car, my first sober car when I was selling <laughs> it. I was like, oh, mm. didn't see that in the yeah, cleaning Yeah, so what did you do? Did you throw it out? Yeah. It was like, you know. Was it full? But no. And there oh. was probably remnants of something in there. But no. it's like, you Should know, again. the bottle as a souvenir. It cost 100 bucks. No, the bottle didn't cost oh, 100 bucks. The vial cost 100 the, bucks. No, the packet like cost a hundred bucks. One gram. I clearly buy one, a lot of drugs. <laughs> one gram cost a hundred dollars. Hmm. One gram kind For of fits into there. All our out there. And you, then you'd yeah, you would take. Well, actually, first you would grown. take what was in the package, uh-huh. put it into a daring, which was a grinder. Cocaine so, like, grinder. it was a cocaine sifter, yeah. so you, you didn't have big, lumpy the other day. rocks falling out of your nose. Thank you had to have goodness. fine powder. Flake and powder society. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not the clumpy the, rock society. It's not the clumpy rock society. Mm. It is flaky and powdery. And, <laughs> ugh. I just can't even imagine. I can almost feel my my jaw clenching up right now thinking about it because it would make you just so stressed and it's it's irony that like i wasn't looking to think more or get Mm -hmm. more amped up Mm. i was looking for an out and so Mm. i went the wrong way but i didn't know that at the time but it's heroin it was a distraction the hell out of me so i wasn't gonna do that yeah, injectables are Ooh, it scared me. Scared, scared, scared. And I knew yeah. if I went down that road, that was that no was return. It. That yeah. was going to be a goner. Sheesh. Yeah. So That's, anyway. This is why I have not really bought any drugs. Right? <laughs> they get all these fun stories. And I'm like, hmm. Ugh. Just the thought of inhaling like a, a rock of any sort up my nose hurts. Like my sinuses are too delicate for that. Yeah. So were mine. Yeah. I like just wrecked my nose. Ugh. Then I had to start smoking it because my nose was broken. Mm. They both still snore, by the way. Family vacations. I can't share a room Sno- with them anymore. 
even if I go home, like <laughs> when I was moving last year and I slept on your couch for a week in between, I was like, holy hell, between the dog and mom and dad all snoring in this house. <laughs> I was like, thank God I'm doing so much every day and I'm working my ass off right now because <laughs> otherwise, if I didn't have that to knock me out, I would have been up all night. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> Bananas. I don't know if my snoring is a product of that or what, but anyway, I would bet a lot of money it is. That and we really like cheese. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she's is a food group we're not willing to give up i remember no. seeing a nutritionist once and she's like well you have to give up cheese and i was like bye yeah fuck you i guess this is my first and last visit yeah. to you because that's not happening and no. she was french i was like what french woman would tell somebody to give up cheese like isn't like weird what it's been in america too long seriously been in L.A. too Why long. Why you give up cheese? Out of all the things in the world to give up, cheese is not one of them. Can't do it. <laughs> Can't do it. I've weaned myself down basically to just goat cheese now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Good for you, I guess. Can't you eat the hard goudas? Every now and then I dabble. Mm. Okay. Yeah. It's so interesting because the way that you talk about, like, falling off the sober wagon of, like, if you had one joint or, like... One thing and then the way that you kind of bargain with yourself and reason like oh well I'm already this like I've already you know an it's a, like if you give I've a already mouse gotten a an A minus yeah so I might as well just not even try because it's not an A that, <laughs> that same mentality but right. now for me it's gluten and dairy and sugar <laughs> that's my version of it I'm like <laughs> oh well you know I'm going to Disneyland in two days and I'm gonna have gluten so I'll let myself have a bite of that bread that just came out at dinner because I know that their rolls are really delicious here. And then we get to Disneyland and I eat a whole day's worth of gluten and I'm in Suffer City. And the next day I'm at the grocery store and I'm like, well, you know, I already... <laughs> I already had gluten this week and I'm not feeling great. So I might as well just like get a little loaf of sourdough and see how see how it goes. See, see if it works. Roll, see if it's roll different the dice. this time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's never not. different. That's it's what I'm not. saying. It's never different. Yeah. So you can have a life or you can have, you can have you bread. Can, you can have bread. Yeah. And it does it's so interesting too because I've stripped so so much excess like chemical wise out of my life at this point that like on days when I have a lot of sugar or I have gluten or eat a lot of cheese like I, my nose is stuffy that night by the time like if I have cheese right the next day I get I have like a gluten depression hangover mm. like it's so crazy the way that that happens it really depresses my system in this weird way and sometimes it's worth it. Sometimes it's not. Right. You know? Like in life. Yeah. Some things are worth it and sometimes it's not. Yeah. But the stakes are a bit lower than cocaine for me. So. You think? <laughs> kind of. I mean, again, if I kept it up, I did it that multiple yeah. times. Well, you're not going to not show up at work and yeah. not show up for your life and not show up for Christmas for your family because right. you ate some bread. Oh, I'm always showing up to Christmas. Yeah, I'm but I did. Christmas. I missed. You a, missed Christmas. I missed a Christmas. Dad, One? my dad was downtown looking for me. 
thinking I was missing in action, and I was not. Yeah, it was awful. I did some shitty. I did some shitty things. These are. I feel like okay. I feel like you've also been in their program for so long that so often when you talk about stuff, it just comes out as like AA cliches or like catchphrases. Like it just co- like it's just natural. That's like like you. It's like all all communities, right? Yeah. It has its own language and yeah. own vocabulary mm-hmm. to it. And then you're like, oh yeah, I missed Chris. I'm like, of all the times we've talked about all of this shit and how deep we are into this project, you've never told me that you missed Christmas and Grandpa was downtown looking for you on Christmas. Awful. So like, yeah, but like, this is what I mean when I'm like, okay, like let's go level deep, like keep unearthing, right? Because there's so, I know there's more. So what happened was I was newly sober mm-hmm. and I was working downtown mm-hmm. and this kind of mm. blouse sewing, manufacturer yeah. and it was Christmas Eve mm-hmm. and they had just handed out bonuses to everybody mm. and they were passing a tray with champagne around to toast for the holidays mm-hmm. And the first time the tray went by, I didn't take a glass. And the second time, either the second time or the third time, I just grabbed a glass without even thinking and drank it. Oh, and like then, impulse. Just like. Just without a thought. Without yeah. a thought in my head. And drank mm-hmm. it. And then, well, I'm already not sober and I got a bonus. So I'm just going to go do a little bit since it's Christmas I'll do Eve. it and then I'll start fresh in the new year. Right. Yeah. Or I'll start fresh tomorrow at Christmas, mm. but I never made it to Christmas. Mm. My poor dad. I came dragging my ass up the driveway at my mom's house on Palms. And yeah. this was before cell phones. So he was what? He just yeah. spent all day looking for you and then eventually showed I up guess. and like yelled at you? He didn't yell at me. Was, was he just like glad you were okay? I think my mom called him and Uh-oh. it was, you know, awful. Yeah. That I put my whole family through that. So that were I, what, I was 20, missing. 21? Yeah. 20. 20. 20. Oh, so this was right before that. This was in, in that in-between period of trying it to stay on the wagon. It was in December of 1985. Yeah. That's like awful to do to your family. Hmm. You know, we did some awful stuff. Some of it, Some. I mean... Thankfully or not thankfully, mm-hmm. some of the awful things that I did, I was in a full-on blackout when I did mm. them. So I don't even know half the stuff I probably even know amends for. Do you know what mm. I mean? Because I was just not present yeah. at, like, blacked out. Sheesh. Sheesh is right. So that's what I'm saying. There's a little yeah. bit of a heavier weight for me to – and that's what I'm saying. Like, I had experience of being sober mm. – Without a thought, having a drink, mm-hmm. and then literally, like, within a day, not showing up for my family for Christmas. Mm-hmm. That is a reality that I experienced. And for me, yeah. uh, no amount of relief per or perceived relief of checking out of my body is mm-hmm. worth the consequences that I would pay and uh, and would cause other people to suffer because of my addiction. Mm. I just know for a fact that I could probably control and enjoy it for a little while mm-hmm. and then it would get me and I would mm. be I would lose all control again. And 
And the the hardest part about when you're in it is that, you know, I'm I'm there on Christmas Eve, knowing I need to go to bed and knowing I need to get up and knowing I need to show up for my family. So then not only am I checked out doing something I'm feeling ashamed about, but then I'm also letting down all these people. Mm. And then you get a whole, I like added big tanker full of shame on top of it Mm -hmm. that I, you know, have caused other people harm Mm. and worry. And, you know, so it's just not worth it to me. I'd rather just stay sober. It's just easier to stay sober. (laughs) You know, whatever. You heard it here, people. It's easier to stay sober. We want to hear from you. Find us on Instagram and TikTok at 12 Steps for Everyone. That's at the number 12 Steps for Everyone. Please like and follow us. You can also send us topics you want us to dig into or follow up questions from each episode. And if you know someone who would enjoy or benefit from our conversations, please feel free to share this with them. All are welcome here.